This is That's in the Bible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 115 My Journey for the Truth. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello, welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible, the podcast that is all about the Bible. And we're going to be taking a look at another topic today. And Pastor Steve is going to be bringing us that topic. It's called My Journey for the Truth. You're not going to want to miss that one. Um, but let me introduce the pastors that are on with us today. And uh, since I mentioned Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, how are you, sir? Doing very well, Eric. Thanks. And you're lo- located uh, in, the, I guess, the Buffalo vicinity, correct? Yeah, just a suburb just outside of Buffalo. And uh, been here for a number of years and serving the Lord in various ministries, but have, uh, have a, a church in uh, South Buffalo, uh, just right next door to where I live, and uh, been ministering there since 2012. All right, so Western New York, and also in Western New York is Pastor Scott Strobel in uh, Lockport, New York. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And how are things at First Bible Baptist Church in Lockport? They're keeping us busy, um, plenty, to, plenty to do, and doesn't seem like enough time uh, slash energy to get it all done, but we we keep plowing away. I think of there was a a guy, a missionary, and, and at the moment I forget who it was. Maybe one of our panelists will remember, fellow uh, be, uh, that's in the Bible, Urs. But uh, they used to call him God's Plotter, P L O D D E R. And I kind of feel like that's what uh, I've been doing now for nearly 35 years: is putting one foot in front of the other and keeping on going and you know, trying to. Hold the fort and uh, gain new ground by the grace of God. Amen. 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 And today's uh, episode is uh, my journey for the truth. And Pastor Strobel, have you ever been tempted to change the name of the church from First Bible Baptist Church to like the Journey Church or, you know, the Way or something like that? <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I only bring that up because I see that some, I guess their churches are going to these kind of obtuse names. I don't completely understand it. It makes it a challenge to figure out what it is. What? Yes. Um, incidentally, William Carey, I looked it up, God's Plotter. Ah. But yeah, there is there is that movement. And I have watched and seen um, churches, um, you know, even in our area that used to be Baptist churches and and all around this happens, but what they wind up doing is they wind up removing Baptist off of the name because they they don't want the stigma uh, that supposedly they, they think there is with the Baptists, or they uh, want to just make sure that everybody knows that everybody's welcome, so they don't want to identify as a particular denomination. I remember talking with the pastor one time. Um, and he, and sometimes if you be quiet, you know, people just open up their mouth and start talking and, <laughs> and revealing things. Mm-hmm. And this guy was, he's kind of going on and on. And, um, he was a pastor of a church named uh, Grace Baptist Church in our area. And he said, um, to me, uh, yeah, we're, we're Baptist, uh, little B. 
Hmm. Well, I knew exactly what he meant. I meant that uh, it wasn't a big emphasis. And uh-huh. it wasn't too many years after that that they were even Baptist with a little B because now it's uh, it, uh, Baptist has been removed from from their church. Wow. But I got thinking about that, and I think, you know, if you're Baptist with a little B, you're not a scriptural Baptist. Amen. When you find it in the scriptures, it's capital B, Amen. John yeah, the Baptist. Amen. More could be said about that, but... That's enough. We got other things to do. (laughs) And um, let's see now, Matt, you're not in Western New York. You're up in the Arctic. And um, what's the name of your church there? Yeah, so it's called Tikiuk Bible Baptist Church. So uh, Big B, <laughs> Big B Baptist. And uh, but it's called Tikiuk because that's uh, the Esco name for Point Hope is Tikiuk, which means a pointer finger, and that's because uh, the little thing of a land that we're on is um, just a little piece of land that juts out in the Arctic Ocean, kind of like a finger, kind of looks like a finger. If you look on Google, Google Maps, Google Earth, you'll be able to see it pretty well, Point Hope. Amen. Now, we did have a listener that uh, contacted us and emailed us a question regarding, um, you know, how you got started up there and what it's like. Yeah, well, it's a long, maybe one day I'll give my testimony of how the Lord called us out here. But uh, we've been out here since January of 2016. So um, this uh, January coming up, uh, it'll be seven years we've been out here. And it's just been unbelievable. Just, uh, you know, I would have never thought that. And, and it's, when I found out that there was people all the way out here above the Arctic Circle, I couldn't believe it. And But they were in a small village called Point Hope, Alaska. And supposedly it's the oldest continuously inhabited village in North America. So they say there's over 4,000 years of recorded history of uh, the people here living here. And um, and it's, of course, Inupiaq Eskimos. And so it's just been a blessing that we've been working alongside the Serenos. They've been out um, in the North Slope region of Alaska, which is right on the uh, tip of the land there, right, right on the Arctic Ocean. Uh, they've been out here for... Um, I think it's 38 years now, something like that. Just 37, 38 years. It's unbelievable. They've been out here on the mission field as long as I've been born. <laughs> so yeah. since uh, I think I was, well, I was born in 82, they came out of here in 83. So he just, he just paved the way and, uh, plowed the way out here. And just, it's an unbelievable thing. But, um, I know some, you know, I think it was art that, uh, had written in and asked about what it's like to live here. Um, summertime, uh, like right now it's, uh, 30, 40 degrees. And, uh, especially when it gets really windy, which it is, I mean, it's always windy here because we live right on the ocean, but, uh, but, uh, at least in the summertime, you don't have any snow, but I would say for the next, uh, nine, 10 months, um, it's just really high winds, lots of snow drifts and very cold. Um, we've had negative 40 degree weather, uh, almost all winter. It was a it was a pretty rough winter this winter. Uh, over 120 houses froze up. You know their pipes froze up wow. and things like that. And so they had a lot of trouble doing everything. But but you know when people say, well, what is it like living out there? You know they think, oh, Alaska. You know they think about a lot of the TV shows where there's rolling hills and you know you're able to go you know out on the boat and fish and and you can in the summertime here. But uh, for about 10 months out of the year. I always kind of explain it like it's almost like you're an astronaut and going to <laughs> Mars or something because you have to get suited up, you know, before you go out. You have to get uh, layers upon layers on, uh, you know, base layers, and then you get your heavy duty stuff on over top of it, you know, big boots. 
and you have to have your you know a couple face masks on and then you got to have the goggles on and, and it's just a it's just a chore to get ready to be able to get out there because you can't be out there for you know more than a couple minutes with any part of your body being you know uncovered or you'll get frostbite but the other thing is too is you know we're a village of about 850 to 900 Eskimo villagers only accessible by bush pilot plane so there's no roads in or out so it does get a little sometimes every once in a while it kind of hits you still where it's like, wow, I'm secluded here, you know, mm. and if there's any kind of, you know, there's no doctors, no nurses. Um, so, you know, if you need to be medevaced out, they have to fly a plane in or a helicopter in. And if there's fog, they can't come in and get you or anything. So you can't leave. Uh, so it's that kind of stuff that sometimes, you know, gets on your nerves a little bit. And most of the time it doesn't, but, but sometimes it does, especially when that heavy fog rolls in. Um, but the other thing is too, is there's not a whole lot out here. We don't have a Walmart. <laughs> we don't have a coffee shop. We don't have uh, a mall. We don't have any restaurants. We have a little small restaurant, but it's like a all fried food, frozen fried food. Um, and so really the, the couple places we go is we've got a post office and we've got a little general store and, uh, we've got the church and we've got the school. And so that's kind of the major things that we have. So a lot of the time is, uh, especially in the winter time, we're either at the church or we're um, we're inside our house. So it's it's definitely you know secluded. And uh, but the, but every anybody anytime anybody asks you know what it's like, it's always like well it's almost like you know if you ever see a space movie or something like that where they make a colony you know on Mars or the Moon or something. Uh, you know, they have to get suited up and they can only go to a couple buildings. Right. And that's kind of like how it, how I kind of look at it. So <laughs> it kind of gives you hopefully a little idea. Amen. Brother Matt, can I ask you uh, just from more perspective, can you tell us what the population there in the villages? Yeah. So it's about 850, 900 uh, Eskimo villagers. Not, not too many. It's, it's kind of hard to tell, but that's about the last census that was taken about 900 villagers. You, you've got, so you've got eight, um, eight villages uh in the north slope you've got barrow which um which has about um five thousand um five thousand eskimo villagers so that's the biggest one out of all of them and if your church wasn't there is there a bible believing church another one there or? no so there's the episcopal which is the oldest that that was that's been here for over 100 years and that's what everybody would say that they are they would say that they're episcopal not everybody but most people would say that they are and uh, they still go by a lot of the traditions, you know, of getting baptized as a baby. They, they just had a baptismal service here this last, <laughs> this last Sunday and, you know, things like that works for salvation, things like that. And then they, we've also got the, um, assembly of God church here as well, which of course teaches you can lose your salvation if you're not coming to church and, you know, uh, real wishy-washy on salvation. So most of the time, anybody that goes there, they don't really understand how to get saved um, and if they are saved, they just are so out of it because they think they're losing their salvation every two seconds, you know, cause they, that's what they harp on a lot. So, so it's, it's just a blessing to be out here and, and, um, and be able to preach the word of God, um, according to the word of God. Amen. 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 And we're glad you could join us. It's still amazing to me as far away as you are that we can all still talk at the same time, you know, be um, able to communicate and sound pretty good. So, amen. amen. We can amen. use we can use this technology for good, despite uh, uh, what a lot of other people other people might be using it for. But um, let's see. Well, I think it's time for our new segment. We've we've 
have decided to put together a new segment today. And it's, uh, it's really going to, the idea behind the segment is to get you to take a look at what the King James Bible has to say, and then also to see what the uh, new translations have to say and how they compare to the King James. And we thought we'd do that maybe in a humorous, maybe a fun way. So hopefully I can do this right. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Uh, I think I'll just start it. So here we go. Hey, welcome to the Sword versus the Spirit, the Bible quiz show that pits the King James Bible against all contenders. Today, the King James Bible faces off against the New World Translation used by the Jehovah Witnesses. And then we also have, I guess, what would be considered a popular translation called the ESV, and I believe that's known as the English Standard Version against the King James. Um, but first of all, I'd like to introduce King James. King James, sir, how are you today? I am well. Glad you could join us, the reigning champion, King James, right here, folks, on our show. Um, but let's also, well, let's cut that music off. Let's also introduce... Uh, the uh, let's see the new world translation also known as uh, jw from now on jw how are you today yeah i'm doing great looking forward to the competition now um i know you're usually outside knocking on doors and stuff but uh today we got you here on the, on our podcast and glad you could join us um, all right We'll see how you do today, uh, Mr. J.W. But we also have, not only J.W. is going to be facing off against the reigning and current and uh, best-selling champion of all time, King James, we also have uh, the uh, upstart ESV, ESV, English Standard Version. ESV, how are you, sir? Well, that's me, and I am the most up-to-date <laughs> version that there is. Yeah, you sound a little uh, funny. Little, I got a little twang. You got something going on there, ESB, <laughs> but I think it's appropriate. So glad you could join us too. Well, first of all, we, we here's how the show is going to work. We're going to ask each of these uh, translations uh, and the authorized version too, um, three questions. There'll be three questions, and basically they're, they're looking at three different verses of the Bible, and then we're going to have a final bonus question. Um, but here's how it's going to start. We're going to start off with, really it's an easy one, uh, it, and, and the question is going to be, who killed Goliath? Now, in case you don't know, uh, David killed Goliath, but I'm going to actually read from the King James Bible which, of course, is the standard for all uh, matters of faith and practice and truth. Um, I'm going to read, uh, let's see, 1 Samuel 17, 51, and, and this will explain it for you. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled as they often do. Um, and we know that's Goliath because if you look in 17, that's the first Samuel 17, chapter 17, verse 4, it says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. So no doubt about it. Uh, the Bible's very clear. Even most children know the answer to this, that um, 
David killed Goliath. But let's let's start with round one. Here we go. Round one, folks. Um, the question is, who killed Goliath? And in order to answer that, uh, we're going to see, well, what does the, the these new translations have to say about it? And we're going to have, and you know, folks, you can play along at home. If you're not using a King James Bible, grab the Bible you're using and see how your Bible does. But let's go with the JW, JW, 2 Samuel 21 Nineteen. If you could, uh, if you could read that for us, um, we'll, we'll get a better understanding of uh, where you're at. Well, Second Samuel twenty-one nineteen. I'm going to read the part that's pertinent. It says, "And Elhanan, the son of Jerogim, whatever his name is, the Bethlehemite, got to strike down Goliath the Gittite." I'm sorry. That's an incorrect answer. Oh, yes, yes, that's that's completely wrong. Uh, as we just read, we just read, you know, David killed Goliath. So you get no points for that. I, 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 I can't believe you're going door to door telling people these things. But let's go. Let's go now to uh, Mr. ESV English Standard Version. Uh, if you could also read Second Samuel twenty one nineteen. Let's see if you know that uh, David killed Goliath. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with that, J.W. Here we go. It says, 2 Samuel 21, 19, And there was again war with the Philistines of Gob, and Elhanan, the son of Jar, Oregim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. I'm sorry, you also oh. have the wrong answer. Oh, no. That's, that's completely wrong. We already know David killed Goliath. So you guys, JW and ESV, ESV, you're supposed to be touted as, you know, the most accurate trans, new translation on the market, and here you can't even figure out who killed Goliath. Well, let's go to our reigning champion. Why don't you, uh, King James, um, yes, King James, take a bow. Thank you, King James. Uh, why don't you read uh, for us um, uh, the the same passage that our two contenders got wrong, Second Samuel twenty one nineteen. Yes, I would be glad to. And there was again a battle in Gob. Uh, let me interrupt myself. Uh, that reminds <laughs> me that uh, those other two versions were just gobsmacked. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jeroragim, a Bethlehemite slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yes! You're absolutely correct. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. You got it right. Was it, David killed Goliath? And and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to say that the uh, JWs and the ESVs are, are not able to, to, to do something... Uh, as simple as that is to, to get that correct. But King James, let's have another round of applause for King James. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's Lord go. Let's go to question number two. Uh, I thought that was an easy one, but this should be easy as well. Um, and that is Luke 2.33. And I think what we're going to do this time is we're going to have King James read Luke 2.33. Luke 2.33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Amen. 
That's a correct response from the authorized version, Mr. King James 1611. And why does it say Joseph and his mother? Well, it's talking about Jesus. So it says Joseph and his mother because Mary was his mother, but Joseph was not his father. Uh, His father was God in heaven. And so uh, he didn't refer to Joseph as his father. Uh, at best, a, a foster parent. I see. So, if, or or adopted sort of a situation. So he doesn't say father there. He's accurate by saying Joseph. Correct. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's go to our two contenders, J.W. J.W. If you could also read uh, Luke two thirty three. What what does your right. I I know I got this one right. I got it right. Right. All here. right. I'm ready. Luke two thirty three. And its father and mother continued oh, wondering soul. at the things being spoken about it. Wow. Um, well, buzz that again. Yeah, that's a double buzz. That's definitely <laughs> wow. a double buzz. And King James, you what, heard what, it. What's wrong? Well, what's King wrong? James, King James, explain to him what's wrong. What's What's wrong? First of all, calling Jesus it is uh, there's a little issues with that. And, well, thank you. <laughs> and again, as if if J.W. had been listening, he would have known that Joseph was not Jesus' father. Yeah. That, God well, is his father in heaven. That's just a minor technicality. Let's see what the audience has to say about that. <laughs> yes. Yes, I completely agree with our studio audience. They're very disappointed in you, J.W. I still can't believe you're going door-to-door telling people these things, and you have no idea. All right, let's go to uh, ESV. You're, you're touted again as one of the most accurate translations on the market. Let's see what the ESV has for uh, Luke 2.33. That's right. I'm called the English Standard Version. That means I'm standard. I'm the standard. All right, here we go. Verse 23. No, 33. See, you, can't even, father, get, you can't even get the verse right. It's Luke 2.33. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it, I got it. And verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I think my accent is changing every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You you use the father thing again. That's completely wrong, as King James already explained. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the audience. Some folks just won't listen. No. No. I don't know. Well I got the next one. So 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 far we've got um we've got King James with two points, reigning champion, still undefeated. <sighs> Go ahead, audience. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you, King James. So King James, still undefeated, reigning champion, and um, JW has uh, zero points, and ESV has zero points. All right. Let's go to question number three. There's still time for you to get a point or two here. Question number three, we're going to take a look at the book of Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 10, verse 24. And uh, we'll start with JW if you'd read yours, sir. All right, here we go. But the disciples gave way to surprise at the works, at his works. In response, Jesus again said to them, children, how difficult a thing it is to enter into the kingdom of God. That should be good enough, right? What? No, no, no. That's completely that's completely wrong, completely wrong. And we're going to hear now from King James. And King James, if you would read your um, 
authorized version. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? All right, and maybe if you could explain to J.W. King James uh, what, what the difference is there. Well, J.W. has not only problems with changing words, but they have problems with leaving some out. And they left out, he left out, J.W. did, uh, that trust in riches, making it look like it's hard for a person to get to heaven when he's just saying it's hard for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm sorry about that, J.W. Well, let's go to the highly touted ESV. ESV, now um, let's see how you do with the uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 24 reference. That's right. Here we go. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Boo. And for the same reason, you got that wrong too. I I can't imagine how people are actually reading you. And and you're you're just so inaccurate. Sorry to say it. Well... Uh, so far, we are three points for the reigning champion, King James. And no points for our contenders, New World um, Translation, the JWs, and the ESV. Yes, not very good showing here. But we're going to give you one last chance to redeem yourselves with a bonus question. And the bonus question is, and we're going to start with... J.W., J.W., if you could read for us, what does Matthew 17, 21 say in your translation? Let me see. Matthew 17, 21. Yes. Matthew 17, 21. We're still waiting. I'm still looking. (laughs) And what does it say? It's not there. No. The audience is getting a little angry here. They don't understand either. They should be. They don't understand either how you've been going door to door and your your Bible is all messed up. Well, let's go to... um, I'm sorry, J.W., you got no points at all today. Uh, Let's go to the ESV, the highly touted, supposedly accurate English Standard Version uh, ESV, can you get a point? Well, let me let me just say this before we start. Before I start, wh- who wants to read the whole Bible? Who want? I mean, we got Matthew four four. I know Jesus Christ says, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God." I understand that, but I mean, when we take some words out of the Bible, you don't have to read as much, right? Yeah, but you make it completely inaccurate. Okay, well here I go, Matthew. Seventeen twenty one. Yes, that'd be good. Huh. Are you telling me that it's not in your Bible either? Well, like I said, you don't have to read everything, right? No, as a matter of fact, you do. And um, let's go to King James. King James, do you have Mark 10, I'm sorry, Matthew 17, 21? Well, I certainly do. And it says, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. 
There you have it, folks. King James, still the undisputed champion of the world. And I want to say, um, uh, JW and ESV, uh, go to your room. Go to your room and don't come out. Please don't come out ever again. Well, folks, that has been our very first episode of the sword versus the spear. Join us again next time when King James will be taking on a, a couple of other contenders. We'll see how they do. These two did horrible. Absolutely horrible. All right, folks. See you next time. All right, there you have it. <laughs> but, you know, and all all kidding aside for a minute, it's amazing to me how these, I don't even want to call them Bibles, but these supposedly new Bibles are supposed to be better and accurate. And we just looked at, what, three or four things, and they're horrible, absolutely horrible. And regarding that last one, I mean, I, I wonder who would want to take a verse like that out of the Bible. This kind mm-hmm. goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Yeah. The one that the one whose strongholds are removed in spiritual warfare. Amen. That's the one. Probably that somebody out. that doesn't want to fast. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, it might have been a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, Steve, are you ready to uh, do? Let's see. Your your episode today is my journey for the truth, episode one fourteen. I am ready. All right, well, here we go. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Before we get started, let's uh, go ahead and uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, I want to come to you in Jesus' name. And uh, Lord, pray that you guide and direct and help me to say the things that you want me to say. Help me, Lord, to make them clear. Help me, Lord, to be able to explain uh, the premise of of this podcast that uh, people might be able to uh, make application for themselves, and Lord God, that you might be glorified. Lord, uh, we just ask God that you guide and direct and pray that you might be glorified in it all, for we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, the purpose of this podcast is I I, I basically am going to maybe do things a, a little bit differently than that what we're accustomed to, maybe what you're accustomed to if you've listened to our podcast in the in the past, is I want to talk to you about a journey for the truth. A journey for the truth. Now we're we're eventually going to get there, but I want to show you some things through the, the through the scriptures that basically kind of define a journey. And uh, before we read here in Genesis chapter twenty nine and verse one I want to give you a little bit of background of what's taking place here with Jacob. Jacob had stolen the birthright from Esau and uh, stole some of the blessings and so forth. And, and Esau is angry, obviously, and and uh, wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob takes off and he leaves. Uh, he leaves there and he, he finds him place, uh, himself a place to rest. He sees the vision of the ladder and the angels ascending and descending, and, and he makes a vow. And then we read this in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. So 
From there on, we begin to read about the twists and the turns of Jacob's life, and we see highlights of Jacob's journey, and how he meets and falls in love with Rachel and agrees to work seven years for her, and then sees how that Laban, her her father, uh, deceives Jacob, and he ends up with Leah instead of uh, Rachel. And so he works another seven years for Rachel, and he has children, <laughs> a lots, lots of children, and agrees to work with his father-in-law for cattle. And uh, some of you know the story with a little bit of hocus-pocus and things along that line. He turns the tables around on Laban, and uh, he sees that, Jake, uh, that Laban uh, isn't uh, really looking at Jacob very favorably anymore. And so he decides to return home after 20 years away, and he uh, he uh, uh, has the inner, uh, the conflict with, with uh, Laban there, accusing uh, them of stealing his gods. Uh, God gets him through all of that, and then all of a sudden he finds out he's going to meet up with Esau. And uh, you just have all of these things that are going on in Jacob's life. He, he deceives Esau again, and he goes to another uh, area of, of the land of Israel there, and then uh, uh, has the, the problems with, with Dinah uh, there with Shechem and so forth, and then has the trouble with Joseph and, and his brothers uh, uh, selling Joseph down into Egypt and so forth, and, and all of those events taking place in, in Jacob's life. And then we read in Genesis chapter 46, and Israel took his journey with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices unto God, the God of his father Isaac. So down into Egypt he goes, and he dies there 17 years later. Those, again, are the twists and the turns of Jacob's life and the journey that he went on. In similar fashion, the nation of Israel journeyed through the wilderness. And we read this in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 20. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Ethan in the edge of the wilderness. And we can read about the ups and downs and the highs and lows of the nation of Israel. And I'm not going to go highlight all of those things. We can read through Exodus and Numbers and so forth and see those type of things there. But just to to show you that what they went through and how they went from place to place and all the troubles that they got into and all of the sin that they did and and, uh, the not trusting in God and and all of those things are part of their journey uh, as they were journeying to the promised land. Paul is uh, here, another uh, example of this is, that Paul is giving his testimony before the Jews in Jerusalem. And we read this in Acts chapter 22 and verse 6, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. Here Paul is recounting his salvation journey. Uh, on the road to Damascus and all the things that, all the steps that led up to his conversion. And uh, it was a journey for Paul as he journeyed. 
and this event took place in his journey. And each of us who are saved and born again have a journey that we can recount and give God the glory to praise him for his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And we call this journey our salvation testimony. Now, having said this, uh, of these different examples of a journey, I want to draw your attention to something else here, which draws us closer to the topic that I have at hand, uh, a journey for the truth. And there is uh, a journey that the scriptures have gone through in order for them to be as we have them today. And that journey really uh, begins not so much with this verse, but in a sense it does. And take your Bible and go to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. In Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. These verses reveal much uh, to us as far as Bible believers are concerned. But the thing I want to focus on is that God has promised to preserve his word. Not just as a one-time thing from that, that generation, but from that generation forever. Which implies to me that there, uh, there is a journey that the scriptures go through. And when we study the history of the word of God, uh, we can see such a journey. First of all, our Bible consists of 66 books written by some 40 authors over approximately 1,500 years. These are referred to as the originals, but none of which were written on anything that would last any length of time. This is where the promise becomes reality that it is God's responsibility to preserve his word. Remember that verse there, it says, Thou, talking about God, thou shalt keep them, the scriptures, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You see, it's God's responsibility to preserve his word. And by him doing so, the scriptures take a journey. Just as God used men to give us the scriptures, he used men to preserve him as well. Uh, it needs to be stated that the very time God preserving the scriptures, a battle ensued. A battle ensued. The adversary was using men to corrupt the scriptures as well. Now, with regard to the scriptures, uh, especially, let's say, for the New Testament, uh, there were uh, copies made and portions of those copies have been found and preserved. Over 5,000 manuscripts uh, line up with the King James Bible, and there are a mere 45 manuscripts that agree with the new versions that are coming out. 
even a greater breakdown, 85% of the papyrus manuscripts line up with the King James Bible. Now, there are 88 papyrus manuscripts. There are 13 or 15% of the manuscripts which line up with Westcott and Hort's text that they used for the R- RV and, and subsequent other translations that come along that are different from the King James. 75 of those papyrus manuscripts, or 85% of them, line up with the Texas Receptus. When speaking of the unseals, which are the capital-lettered uh, uh, manuscripts, 99% of the capital, well, let's, let's break it down. There are 267 of the unseal manuscripts, nine uh, line up with Westcott and Hort, which is about 3%, 258, which is 97%, line up with the Texas Receptus. You have the cursive, which are the lowercase manuscripts. There are 2,764. Uh, 23, which is only 1%, line up with Westcott and Hort. 2,741, which is 99%, line up with the Texas Receptus. And then you have another one that is uh, another category that is uh, considered manuscript. They're called lectionaries. Lectionaries would be similar to, let's say, a a sermon was written out and they copied out a verse of scripture uh, that that, uh, they put in that that sermon and it lines up with a a particular uh, family of manuscripts. Those are lectionaries. They might be at the end of a hymnal. They might be you know, different uh, readings and so forth, but they're called lectionaries. There's 2,143 of those. Zero of them line up with Westcott and Hort. And you have 2,143, 100% of them line up with the Texas Receptus. So in essence, you have uh, probably close to 90, better than 90% of the manuscripts line up with the Texas Receptus or the King James Bible. There are early translations of the copies of the originals that bear witness to the King James Bible. You have the Peshito, which is in Aramaic, which was around the year 100 to 200 AD, uh, which is a translation of those early manuscripts. Uh, Of course, we're talking about the New Testament. And uh, the Old Latin and the Old Syriac, which are around 100 to 200 A.D., they line up with the King James Bible. Now, that Old Latin is not to be confused with the Latin Vulgate of Jerome, from uh, who, who is th- uh, through the Roman Catholic Church. This Old Latin, which is the right one, around 100 to 200 A.D., was used to produce the Latin Bibles of the Waldensians and the Albigensians which are around 1100 to 1300 A.D., and obviously others outside of the Protestant Reformation, such as the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, the Dutch Baptists, the Quakers, the English Baptists, and so forth. They got their Bibles there from them as well. Plus, the Lord used Martin Luther to divide Rome and to start a Reformation with his German Bible in 1522 to 1534, which used those uh, manuscripts that we just described, uh, having also at hand the Peshito and the Old Latin and the Old Syriac, and then uh, those that were used by those earlier uh, uh, denominations there. Um, Along with that, 
the Lord used men in the 16th century to translate from those ex- extant or existing manuscripts and early translations to give us the Greek translations, such as Erasmus in 1522, Stephanus in 1550, Biza in 1598. The Lord used men in the 16th century with great hazard to their lives to translate from the majority of manuscripts the English Bible, such as Tyndale in 1522 who said before he was strangled and burned at the stake, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And he was in reference to the the Word of God and so forth, and that's what that was about. You have the Coverdale Bible, which was in 1535. You have the Matthews Bible in 1537. You have the Grape Bible in 1539. You have the Geneva Bible in 1560. And you have the Bishop's Bible in 1530. 68. All of these uh, were uh, English translations that were leading up to the printing of the authorized version known as the King James Bible, which God would use as the final authority of the universal language of the last days and sent it all over the globe to reach the souls of men. It's an amazing story. And it's an amazing journey. The Bible that I have before me that I'm looking at right now was sprinkled with the blood of men and women who loved the Lord and loved his word and were willing to give their lives for that book. The opposition that was going on at the same time all of these steps were taking place in this journey of our Bible, there was opposition. Uh, to that Bible over the the, the centuries uh, through persecution and inquisition uh, by counterfeit. Uh, men like Origen and Eusebius and Jerome and Westcott and Hork and even uh, men like Guy Fawkes in his gunpowder plot of uh, November 5th, 1605. And many, many people probably don't remember or know about this. It's kind of lost in history. But uh, he had a plan to blow up Parliament and to kill the King of England, which was King James. And uh, he may not have understood what was at stake at the time. They just, he was a Roman Catholic and didn't want the, uh, uh, the Church of England uh, usurping uh, the Catholic Church. They wanted England to become Catholic again instead of Anglican. But the greater thing that maybe was unknown is that King James would be used to have or or to order the work on the King James Bible so that the common man could have a Bible in their own language and that wouldn't be partisan, uh, such as the Geneva Bible and the Bishop's Bible. And so he wanted something that would be let's say, non-denominational, if you can understand what I mean by that, and uh, uh, have it written so that the common men could have it in his possession. But that gunpowder plot was there to try to kill King James. God providentially preserved his word by stopping the actions of those opposed to his promise to preserve his word from this generation forever. And he did it through King James. 
men like Westcott and Hort have done extreme damage by inserting their Greek text from corrupt manuscripts into the committee that was set on improving, or at least that's what their motive was, improving upon the King James Bible. And it was based on a the minority of Bible manuscripts. Now, just to be fair, when you read in these new versions that they used a uh, better and older manuscripts, the only reason why they say that is because they were written on on material that's called vellum, which is animal skin instead of papyrus, which was uh, um, you know, like newsprint and so forth. And so it's written, so it lasted longer. But the scholars that were uh, using the, you know, transcribing and and uh, copying uh, the Word of God never used them. In fact, one of them, called Sinaiticus, was found in a trash can in a monastery. I believe it was on Mount Sinai. And uh, somebody rescued it. I think it was Tischendorf that rescued it out of the trash can and 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 made it uh, uh, had it become something more important to the Roman Catholic Church. The manuscripts, the minority uh, manuscripts, have been used to develop over 500 new versions of the New Testament and deceiving many Christians over the years. For those of us who still believe in God's promise to preserve his word, we can look back and see the amazing journey that our Bible has been through. Which brings me to my last journey that I want to talk about, and that's my journey of what uh, it took to bring to my attention uh, the the scriptures and, and the truth of the scriptures. Uh, there is a journey that all of us go through, uh, not only our salvation journey, but a journey for the truth of the scriptures. Some people, when they approach this journey, they just accept what is handed to them, what is suggested by someone, without ever going through any of the evidences to find out whether these things are so. We need to be like the Bereans to search the scriptures to find out whether these things are so. And, and in this case, to search out the evidence to find out whether these things are so. Each of us have that salvation journey. Each of us have a journey for the truth. Some are satisfied with incomplete information. And they've got that information just as uh, from one source. And uh, they hear the, the, the King James is bad-mouthed and told that it's hard to understand and all those these and thous and all the archaic words and all the excuses that these publishers put out to sell these new Bibles. And they never check out the evidence as to why we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God. Some of you may be on your journey now. Some of you may have completed that journey and are fully assured of what you believe. But I want you to know that there is a journey that you need to take to find the truth, to find the truth of the scriptures. And I can't tell you about your journey, but I can tell you about mine. Uh, When I was 12, 13 years old, uh, I went to a confirmation class and I received a Bible for that confirmation class. I was raised in a Lutheran church and went through the catechism 
and I was lost at the time, and they gave me an RSV uh, Bible. It's a little red Bible, the RSV, and uh, uh, really did nothing with that Bible. I might have opened it up maybe once or twice. It didn't have any meaning to me. It was just it was just basically given to me. I never took it to church. I never did anything with it, but it was given to me. Some years passed, and and while I was in college, I had an an emotional experience with some people who told me I was saved because I had a feeling. I ended up uh, in a Baptist church. I was still lost, but uh, because of that experience, I told them that I was saved, but never had a life that ever proved anything that would uh, convince them of that. And... uh, they, uh, I, you know, they tried to witness to me, or at least I heard salvation messages, but it never uh, made any sense to me. I was blinded to that truth. I was, uh, was in that church until I was ready to join the Navy. And before I joined the Navy, uh, which was in 1975, some people from that church gave me my second Bible. This one was a New American Standard Version which I left at home when I went to the Navy because I didn't figure that a, a, a Bible was going to, kind of Bible would, would kind of hinder my life instead of enhance my life, at least in the lifestyle that I was thinking that I would live there on the ship. While I was in the Navy, there were three guys on that ship that began to witness to me and to others on that ship. And I gave them a, a, a hassle for eight to nine months. I argued with them. I uh, I cussed them out. I uh, uh, said all kinds of terrible things. Played all kinds of practical jokes on them, until uh, back in December 29, 1976, when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Following my conversion and not knowing anything different uh, about the Bible issue or or anything, I called home for my family to send me that Bible that I had left there. I, uh, I was waiting for that Bible and waiting for that Bible, and that Bible uh, didn't come. And uh, to my surprise, that Bible never came. They never found it. In the meantime, uh, while I was waiting for that Bible, uh, the guys that had led me to the Lord and another guy and myself, so that made five of us, Whenever we went anywhere off the ship, we would come back and park the car. And before we went back onto the ship, we all took took turns praying around. And we would pray and we'd say, God, the underlying theme of, of our prayers was, God, we want the truth. We want the truth. We want the truth. We want the truth. We didn't even really realize that we were praying about the truth of the scriptures, but God... Uh, honored our prayer, and he got us the truth. Uh, I uh, went to church with those guys and and ran into a fellow by the name of Lester Roloff, who was an evangelist and had several homes in Texas and and some of the neighboring states there for for various people, for uh, runaway girls and and pregnant women and uh, illegitimate pregnant women and uh, for uh, boys that uh, were... Uh, runaways or troubled kids and so forth and he had this home and he as an evangelist would go around and uh, he'd preach and so forth and he had these bibles that they were offering 
I guess you could say, offering for free for a donation, if you understand what I mean. And uh, I needed a Bible, and I didn't want to wait any longer for the Bible that never came. And so I got my third Bible, and it was a King James Bible. And uh, I have it still to this day. It has my handprints and my thumbprint on either side of the cover where I carried it with me everywhere I went. It uh, stayed with me when I slept. Either it was across my chest when I fell asleep as I was reading the Bible uh, at night, or it was right next to my pillow. I slept with that Bible, and I uh, uh, went off ship with that Bible. Uh, No matter where we went, whether we were just going to a restaurant or whether we were going someplace else, the Bible was my companion. And I still have that Bible to this day. We continued to pray. And the three, as I mentioned, became five, and the five became seven. And three and a half months after we had, I had trusted Christ as my Savior, and we were praying for the truth with all earnestness, God moved the United States Navy and had our ship move from Jacksonville, Florida, to Pensacola, Florida, for a month and a half to work on the USS Lexington. Now, I was on ship's company, which meant I worked on our ship, but there was a, a, a bunch of guys back in the back part of the ship that were called the repair division that worked on other ships to fix them and repair them. And so we were there for uh, a month and a half, and there was a fellow by the name of Ron Burris who met the, 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 uh, us on the, on the pier and heard that there were some Christians that were on the ship And he uh, found us, and he took us back to his place where he and his wife, Allie, kind of treated us as sons. And uh, we went there for a month and a half, and Ron uh, gave us Bible studies every night at his place. Uh, There were guys that were paying $30 and $40 back in the the, uh, mid to late 70s. Uh, for someone to take their duties so that they could go to a Bible study. We had over 30 guys get saved in that month and a half time on that ship. I mean, it was really exciting. And Ron uh, would give us the Bible studies, and he showed us how the King James Bible was the Word of God by many infallible proofs. Uh, He would uh, show us comparisons of, of the new versions and so forth and ran us through some of the things about manuscript evidence and so forth. And then he introduced us to Dr. Ruckman on church nights, and we heard him preach. And uh, we just had a marvelous time. They even had a special uh, a dinner on the grounds for all of us service guys and, and uh, really treated us quite warmly and so forth. And uh, we had a revival on the ship, and it was, it was an absolute marvelous time, and we were all excited and so forth. And once we got back into port there at Jacksonville, orders came for us to to go up to Norfolk for Virginia. And I don't know if some other ships needed to be worked on up there. I didn't quite get that, but we were there for a period of time, a couple of months. And uh, uh, we ran into um, a, a church that was having a revival for servicemen at their servicemen center, which coincided with a revival that they were having in their main church. So the service guys, we would go and, and have this revival with uh, uh, Hank Heibolt was his name, who preached for us, uh, service guys. And then when that was done, we went over to the church and we had uh, a revival meeting with Harry Zaspel, which was the resident uh, 
evangelist for their church. And uh, the Lord got all over me uh, in that one of those meetings there for the church and uh, got a hold of my heart and uh, don't want to go into all the details of all the things, but, but I was sold out for God. And uh, I went to the bookstore that they had there for their church, and I bought my fourth Bible that I have right in front of me here. It's an old Schofield Bible that I was uh, uh, going to uh, use to go to Bible school with. I was going to go to back to Pensacola and go to Pensacola Bible Institute, and I needed a Bible that I could use for that. The the other one that I got from Brother Roloff just wouldn't do. It was falling apart and everything else, so I needed a new Bible. And uh, so as soon as I would get back, when our ship went back to Jacksonville, I was going to be discharged uh, from the service, which was at the end of August, and uh, school started right at the beginning of September. But uh, when I bought that Bible there at that bookstore, the pastor of the church had taken notice of me and approached me and started to talk to me a little bit, you know, some small talk and so forth. He saw that I was down at the altar and and really just beside myself and weeping and and uh, bawling about uh, some things that God had dealt with me about. And, and so he started asking some questions about uh, what I was going to do and so forth. And he found out I was going to get out of the service and I was going to go to Bible school. And he asked which one. And I told him I was going to go to PBI, and the immediate reaction was, oh, well, you know, we have an institute here as well. And, you know, Steve, we're looking for good young men like you to come to our school. Would you consider coming to our school? And, uh, you know, they were, uh, I guess I later found out that they were a King James in name only, but they weren't really solid on the King James Bible. I, that wasn't really what what really made my decision there. I think God had already confirmed that. I just took it as, as the devil just trying to get me away from what he originally wanted me to do. But when I went to Bible school, uh, it through the teaching of Dr. Ruckman and Brother McGahee and Brother Clipper, uh, it confirmed to me and showed me beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, the King James Bible was the Word of God. I saw the proof. I saw the arguments for and against. I saw the comparison of all the versions. I did some translating of my own when I was taking Greek class for three years, and I could see that in the translation you could make it say one word or another. You had the discretion in doing that. And I thought to myself that it had to be God that guided these men to make the decisions that they made to put the right words in in the King James Bible. And when that took place, my heart was fixed, and I was set as far as uh, the Bible was concerned. And uh, we, uh, we did due diligence in studying through the issue. And I just wanted to give God the glory for answering the prayers of a newly saved sailor who was had an insatiable desire for the truth. I want to thank God for an open and a willing heart to hear the truth uh, to the many voices of the contrary. Because I've, I've heard many of arguments, and I've had many of people try to dissuade me from believing the King James Bible, and I'm thankful for the, to the Lord for the journey that he took me through 
of, of, of taking at least uh, three to four years to firm it up in my heart and my mind as to the truth of the scriptures. Now, over the last 40 years, 45 years, the Lord has allowed me the privilege to expose people to the truth of the scriptures and how God preserved his word even to our generation. Now, I, I guess I want to stop here. I'm, I'm almost done. Really, I'm, I'm really done. But I want to I close with this. I want to close with this. What, what about your journey for the truth? What about your journey for the truth? There might be some of you that are already convinced that the King James Bible is the Word of God, but I may have someone here listening to this podcast that maybe on the onset has disagreed with me, disagreed with the fact that I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, that it is perfect and without error, and that it is the preserved Word that God has intended for us today. Maybe you disagree with that. But in your journey, have you examined the evidence or have you just been exposed to one side of the argument with some criticism of the other side? Have you checked the manuscripts, the evidence of the manuscripts and so forth, of what they, uh, what they stand for, what they, what they do, what they teach, what they don't teach, how they change the scriptures? These new versions, I want you to understand, they make Jesus Christ to be a sinner. They attack the means of our salvation. They take out the blood. Uh, they, they teach baptismal regeneration instead of being saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, they make Jesus Christ out to be a liar. They make Jesus Christ out to be a sinner. They attack the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Do you, have you seen the evidence for that? Have you completed the journey? And, and let me ask you this. Do you have an insatiable desire for the truth? You may be satisfied with what you have because you think what you're reading is easy to understand. But is it, is it the truth? Is it the truth? That's where it's important. Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You know, the Lord is interested in you finding the truth. And I'm here to tell you that you may be on a journey. You may be at a certain point right now that you've kind of settled in on something, but maybe you haven't examined all the evidence. Maybe you need to check some things out to find out whether those things are so. That you need to be like those Bereans and search the scriptures and search the evidence to see if those things are so. If you're honest with God, I want you to know that God will be honest with you. If you'll search for the truth, he'll lead you and guide you into the truth. I tell you what, I had no idea what the truth was when we were praying for the truth. I had no idea that the King James Bible was indeed the Word of God. I didn't know that going into it. I had no prejudice one way or the other. I just know that I wanted the truth. And because of a sincere heart, God put the evidence in front of me put the right people in front of me, showed me both sides of the, of the evidence, and God allowed me to make that choice. And I've made that choice, and I haven't wavered from it one bit. So you're on a journey. Maybe you're saved and born again. You've been through that journey. 
But what about the journey for the truth of the scriptures? Are you on that journey? Maybe you need to maybe jump back on the bus and and see where it takes you and see if the Lord will not show you the truth that the King James Bible is the Word of God. Guys, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Amen. Thank you, Steve, for bringing that uh, episode today, the, my journey for the truth. And uh, let's go to the pastors. Let's go to Pastor Strobel. Amen. Good stuff. And I relate in to the journey. Our journeys are um, different, but they were for the same thing, and they wound up at the same place. And as Brother Steve closed, he talked about really the heart matter, and, and that is the key. There's so many, we, we, we sometimes look at these things as just an intellectual problem. But I got, um, you know, looking in the scriptures some years ago and just reading it and being aware, you know, paying attention to things. And I noticed in Galatians chapter 5 when he's talking about the works of the flesh, that among the works of the flesh is listed heresy. And the reason why people embrace heresy is because it's easier for their flesh. And, and if you are in the spirit, you know, that's where the Lord will show you the truth. And so, again, this heart matter. Jesus said it like this, John 7, verse 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. That's a heart matter. You want to get your doctrine right, your heart's got to be right. You have to be willing to do the will of God if any man will do his will. So I guess a, 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 an important question to anybody that believes a false doctrine, anybody believes a different version or doesn't believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, is this, if it really is the Word of God, would you be willing to embrace it? If you were wrong, would you be willing to humble yourself and uh, embrace the truth? And really, pride keeps a lot of people from seeing these things. Uh, sec- I was at a Bible college. Um, I, was at, I went to three different ones, but, but uh, one of the Bible colleges I was at, um, they were professing King James Bible-believing college, but at that time... Um, there were they had issues with it, and I, I was I struggled because I was I believed the King James at that point and had prayed through it and, and sought it out and and uh, done some uh, studies myself and come to these conclusions by the the Lord's leadership, and it grieved my heart when I'd hear a teacher or even a, a preacher, you know, say they take a clear cut word in the King James and they'd say, you know, a better translation should be or they would be or they'd say. You know, that's not a good word in, in, in the English there. And they and they would alter it. And I was sitting in church, I think it was a Wednesday night early. We had gotten there early. I was reading my Bible, just waiting for the service to start. Um, and I was reading in First Timothy chapter 6 where it said this beginning in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud and I, and I began to recognize that pride will keep you from embracing the wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the true word of God. And so, I mean, I was there, they were teaching otherwise, they weren't consenting to those things. And I, and I kept on reading and said, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And then it said, from such withdraw thyself. Man, that was just like hitting me strong. And long story short, I, I left um, after that semester, after that uh, the Bible school year was over. And, um, and, and I wound up going elsewhere. 
which is another story that, you know, for another time. But loud and clear, the Lord was, was uh, opening my eyes and, and just continually, as in Brother Steve's case, you just the Lord just confirms his word over and over and over again. And uh, it is... It's a journey that some folks are on, and they need to understand that if you're going to take this journey, you have to have a genuine and, sincere, and a sincere heart. I mean, I, I can recall just, you know, lifting up my uh, voice for the truth, crying after knowledge, kind of like the pattern in the early verses of Proverbs chapter 2. I just want to add one other thing. If you come to the Lord, because I've had people say this to me, well, I, well I've prayed. I mean, I could, I, could, I could tell you names, people, they, they prayed for the truth as well, and they sought it out, and they studied the evidence. And they came to a different conclusion. Well, again, that's where it comes down to a heart matter. What's really most important to you? Is it most important to you to embrace the truth of God or just to kind of just, you know, get along with people? Just to, um, you know, have a big ministry? Just to reach as many people as you can? God's got to be first. First and great commandment, you're to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and great commandment. Second, like unto that, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's God first, people second. But if you approach the Lord... And your heart's not right. Uh, hear how, how hear what happened to some people in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter fourteen, verse beginning in verse one. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart, and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of them? Should I be inquired of at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, cometh to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. And the Lord said, You come and your heart's not genuine and right. You'll go away believing a lie. And he'll let it be so, because God is interested in people that want the truth. And by the way, um, his word is truth, John 17, verse 17, and he is truth, uh, John 14 and verse number 6. Amen. Amen. Matthew. Amen. Yeah, it's great stuff. You know, I I just remember, you know, anytime you listen to somebody's, of course, testimony, it just brings you back to your testimony too. And just what a blessing. And I remember before I got saved, I went to a Barnes and Noble bookstore and just went over to the religious section. And I know the Lord led me over there and because my flesh wouldn't lead me over there and uh, picked up a King James Bible. I just remember, of course, going, somebody you don't know, but I grew up uh, when I was little in uh, Pastor Scott Strobel's um, church there in Lockport. And, uh, but I couldn't remember for sure which version, right, was the, I knew he would always say there's one perfect Bible. I didn't know which one it was, but it was just amazing. The Lord just allowed me to pick up a King James Bible, started reading, you know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it was just like a peace just came over me. And it was like, wow, this has to be it. Because, you know, just something in me just remembered those words, the way it was said, and so I said, I got to get this. This has got to be it. Then I remember going home and the next day, that Saturday morning, I got saved, uh, received the Lord as my savior. And then, you know, like anytime I just said, well, this is, this is the Bible. This is God's word. Cause that's how I was taught, of course. And, and I believed it. And then uh, shortly after, like anybody, you know, you start getting questioned about it. People say, well, come on, all, how about all the other versions? There's so many other versions. How do you know that's really from God? And 
And so then that, you know, came about, okay, I need to study it out just as we've been talking about. Uh, you need to study it out for yourself. What You know, look at all the evidence. And that's what I did. And of course, I read Psalm 12, 6 and 7. You know, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And I said, well, God, you're going to preserve. It's up to you to preserve your words from David's generation and then forever. And so I said, well, there's got to be the word of God somewhere then. If, 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 you know, you're powerful enough to keep us saved and go to heaven, powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth, then you're powerful enough to keep one perfect book throughout all generations, you know, for, for us. And so I searched out the other versions and <laughs> as you know, you know, we've, we've got other studies on here as well in regards to the other versions. Um, one that I can think about too, that I did a while ago that, that cemented my heart on the King James Bible many, many years ago, um, was the superior, superiority of the King James Bible. And I did that on, uh, on this podcast Wow, back in 2009 now, November 25th of 2009. So if you want to look that up, uh, and I had you know cemented that in my heart years before I did that study. And once you get that cemented in your heart, it's just it, it, once you start reading your Bible, then it it opens it up. And again, it's like that faith just increases, and you're like, wow, this is the Word of God. And I remember shortly after I got it cemented, um, I was going to the gym. And I was running on the treadmill. Actually, I didn't get on the treadmill yet. There was a lady to my right. And I hopped up on my treadmill and scared this lady that was on the other treadmill. And uh, she almost fell off the treadmill, you know. And and uh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just praying, you know. And I said, well, praise the Lord. You know, that's great. You're praying. She had a whole list of, you know, names, an old piece of paper that she was praying for people and stuff. So I said, well, this will be great. You know, I'll be able to talk about the Lord. And, and so we did. And and somehow she got off on this whole thing about her pastor has the, you know, the true words of God, you know, and in the uh, what what you know, what the Bible really should say, the words that should be in there. And I said, "Well, can you show me?" And she said, "Well, no. I mean, he's got them somewhere, you know." <laughs> and I said, "So wait a minute. So we don't have a perfect book. You you've got to go to a guy to tell you exactly where the stuff is." And you know, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just trying to understand what she was trying to say, and she was getting upset. And so I started to quote to her, you know, some different verses about, of course, God keeping his book perfect, you know, Psalm 12, 6 and 7 and all that. And I said, now let me ask you this question. So you don't believe the whole Bible is perfect, right? And she said, no. I said, well, how do you know which, you know, ones are right, which one's not right? And she said, well, I got to go to my pastor <laughs> and he'll tell me. And I said, well, how's that right? That You know, that's going to a man. We're not supposed to go by a man. We're supposed to go by the words of God. And so I asked her just a simple question. I said, so you know how to get saved, right? And she said, oh, of course I do. And I said, well, it's by Jesus Christ, right? By There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, right? And she said, yeah, of course. And I said, well, how do you know when it says that you must call upon Jesus Christ to save you? How do you know that verse isn't right? You know, how, I mean, if you're going to pick and choose, if you're, if you're going to say there's not one perfect book, how do you know? And then, and then at the end of it, she still was upset, but she said, I see your point. <laughs> And uh, it just comes down to the fact of, okay, do we have God's perfect book or not? And if we don't, then might as well just pack everything up and just go home. Because if God's not big enough, powerful enough to preserve a book perfect for us, then he's not powerful enough to keep our souls perfect for eternity. And I'll just say one more thing. I remember after that, I was uh, having a Bible study. I started a Bible study at my job in Syracuse when I was an x-ray tech. And uh, we started having a bunch of people come out. We'd go to a coffee shop after work 
Uh, there'd be everybody there. I mean, there'd be uh, physicians assistants there. There'd be other x-ray techs there, uh, x-ray tech assistants and, you know, front desk people. And, <clears throat> and we had weeks of this going on and people were just getting excited. Uh, some people still were lost and in, in getting the gospel. And then one of the front desk ladies, I mean, she was really excited about it. So she brought her husband out and she was a Christian as far as I could tell. And so was he. And so he came out and he said, well, you know, who do you like to listen to, you know, preachers and stuff. And so I just kind of, you know, mentioned some people and, and, uh, he got the fact of, he's like, wait a minute, you're King James only. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I believe God preserved one perfect book. And I believe it's the King James Bible. And he said, oh, <laughs> and he looked at his <laughs> wife. He looked like he was going to throw up <laughs> and, uh, in front of everybody, in front of everybody there. And I just remember he never came back after that. She never came back after that. And uh, it's sad. You know, here, everybody was getting excited. Everyone was learning the Word of God. And then, you know, this this is what I have to say. If God promises he's going to preserve one perfect book and I get to heaven one day, is he really going to say to me, how dare you believe what I said in that Bible, that I would preserve one perfect book? <laughs> you know, I mean... I'd even go this far to say, listen, if you believe the NIV is God's perfect book, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll at least give you a little bit of respect for that. Uh, if you believe that the uh, New Living Translation is God's perfect book, I'll give you props for that. You know, that you at least believe that God preserved one perfect book and you at least believe that. Um, but to say that there is no perfect book, that we got to go back to the Greek and Hebrew to try and figure out which one's going, that's crazy. So I, I'm just thankful that, um, you know, the Lord really opened up my eyes, cemented it in my heart. And uh, yeah, if there's anybody listening, I hope I hope that uh, if they haven't truly studied it all out, they would they would find out for themselves. So, Amen. Amen. And the uh, the other episode that we did was um, well, let's see what was it here? I had it right here. Which Bible is the right one? And that also is from 2009. And I happened to listen to snippets of both of these recently, and. <laughs> One of the funny things, we were talking back in 2009 about the internet, and and somebody had written in and said they listened to the internet in their truck or their van, and we were all like, wow, how does he get the internet in his van while he's driving? <laughs> um, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, amen, amen. Uh, there's a lot on the King James Bible, and and I'm, I'm still amazed that the people today that... Um, I, I don't know, will, willfully ignorant, maybe? that I don't see how you can look at the evidence and come off, come away. And I guess as Pastor Strobel said, it's a heart condition. Um, yeah, man. And, and not see what's so plainly obvious. You know, so, I, think yeah, sometimes I, I, it, I think sometimes it might be peer pressure uh, because to believe the King James Bible is the Word of God uh, put you at least today now it's 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 a minority position uh, with regard to the, the bulk of Christianity and uh, with the number of people that are mocking it and changing it and and so forth people don't want to be want to be mocked they'd rather fit in than to stick out <laughs> and so uh, uh, to me it didn't matter I wanted the truth mm -hmm. whether it made me stick out or not so uh, some people just uh, succumb to the peer pressure. Amen. Amen. And, and, they, and in so doing, they get taken in by the fact that they are, or the uh, claim that 
uh, what they're doing with the new Bibles is just they're making things easier to understand. So they're taking away the hard words, you know, like I think you mentioned, Brother Steve, the these and the thous. And right. like I tell people, you know, I can teach you what thee and thou means in less than five <laughs> seconds. Amen. All right. Ready? Go. <laughs> you. You. <laughs> I got to let it, I had to let the time get down, you know, for it to make it <laughs> a little bit more dramatic. But but it's not that hard. And here's what they do. They say it, they say that, but what they don't realize is that they alter other words to change the doctrine. And not only that, they take a lot of times clear words and they obscure them. Like over in the book of Job where he talks about, is there any taste in the white of an egg? And there's a, uh, a, a version, I think... I think it's the new Schofield, but I'd have to double check it. But it says if there are any tastes in the slime of the purslane. Yeah. Mm. But you see how much easier that is to understand. And, well, in changing they, the word, I'm sorry, go ahead, Scott. Oh, that's all right, go on. Well, I was just going to say that, that with changing the words, they change, you know, we, we believe that uh, it says comparing spiritual things with spiritual things comparing the, the scripture verses with scripture verses to interpret itself. Though when they change the words, you, you mess up the, the cross-references that teach you valuable doctrine. And uh, when they do that in those new versions, you have no clue. You're just looking at the Bible as a, oh, a, a list of do's and don'ts and, and some practical application, and you, you miss out on all the doctrine because you don't have the cross-references from the words that are specifically put there for a purpose to teach you. Amen. And when you go to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, you can't rightly divide it because they've changed the words. Amen. Well, amen. The other thing, too, is I remember we were at, um, it was actually me and Pastor Matt Smith uh, that's been on this uh, podcast before, but I remember we went to a, a uh, house. We were just visiting. We were knocking doors, and this lady allowed us to come in, and she was talking about her two younger boys. They were teenagers at the time that they were there, and they were in the other room, and she was talking about how, you know, oh, I've got these new, new international versions. You know, yeah, we had the King James Bible, but they couldn't understand the King James Bible, so I've got these better up-to-date versions, you know, that they can understand a little bit better, you know, and, and we, as nicely as possible, you know, showed her First Corinthians two fourteen, which says, "But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him; neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned." And she was talking about how they couldn't understand the King James Bible at all. And so we tried to explain to her that 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 possibly and most likely is a sign that they're not even saved yet. You know, and and that's one of the things God God's made this Bible so that you can't understand most of it outside of salvation until you get saved. And, and that should be a sign to you. And listen, if you can't understand the King James Bible, then maybe you're not saved because you're spiritually discerned. You don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, of course, to help you through the Bible. And uh, she took it actually pretty well. She didn't believe it. But, uh, but unfortunately, I think a lot of people are going to these newer versions and giving them to their kids uh, and not even getting first to the fact that they need to get saved first. Amen. Amen. Well, good study, good conversation. Um, appreciate it, fellas. Amen. 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 Well, there's our theme song indicating that our time is up for today. But let's hear it for the King James. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do this anymore, do I? 
<laughs> Wait a minute. Too many moving parts. We should do it. Woo! I'm going to have to edit that one, aren't I? But let's hear it for the King James. There it is. I keep forgetting I have this uh, sound effect on a different uh, different section that doesn't have the uh, the mu- music playing here. Who's up next? Be Brother Matt. I think so. You going to be ready, Matt? What? I will be ready. You going to use the King James? I think about it. You know, I really like the uh, the English Standard Version because it's uh, you know it's just easier to read. There's less to read. You just like doing that goofy. Uh, That's right. He likes voice. the voice. <laughs> I changed it about seven times. You did. <laughs> funny. Amen. Well, uh, Lord willing, we'll see you again real soon. In the meantime, go ahead and go read your King James Bible. All right, guys. Thanks again. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will many will meet their doom. Trumpets will trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous.